Hello, everyone, and welcome to the eighth episode of the Front End Greatness podcast. I'm your host, AP Koponen. Today's episode is based on a request from one of our listeners, Tero Jaakkola. Tero requested an episode on how you can build complex forms with confidence. And therefore, today we will be talking about building complex forms. Yay! My guest today is Eric Rasmussen. Eric is the author of two popular form libraries, Redux Form and Final Form. Eric is an American expat who's been living in Spain for the last 15 years. Eric, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Good to be here. Yeah, I'm super excited to talk with you about building complex forms. I've actually followed you on Twitter for a, a few years, and I know that you have quite a lot of expertise when it comes to building forms. I guess building two very popular form libraries kind of requires that. Yeah, I've done some thinking on the topic. Yes. So I, I think we could kick off this episode with the question, what should every front-end developer know about building forms? Forms are a very special thing. They weren't initially part of HTML when they designed the World Wide Web. Before it was only documents and for reading documents and hyperlinking documents to each other. But then they they thought, well, wouldn't it be great if we could get information from the user back to the server somehow? And forms are just like, I call it a type of maximum user interaction where, first of all, you're using a different input device. You're using the keyboard rather than moving the mouse around. And it's a time of rapid state change where as the user is typing, you need to be receiving all of that data and potentially doing something with it, maybe just showing it inside the, the text box or whatever, but also potentially doing some calculation or doing some validation to see if what they're typing is okay. So if you want to have that sort of instant feedback to the user that if a field is, is required and there's an error shown and they start typing a value in there, if you want the error to immediately go away to sort of give them that feedback, you have to be managing all of that data through your application and it can get it can get complicated like in the old days like with jquery for example you would let the user do whatever they want in the form and then when they hit submit you would go and ask all the dom in elements for their values and either well in the old old days the browser itself would just would just send that to the server in a in a post request but If you wanted to do something more fancy with client-side validation, then you would go and ask the form inputs for their for their values and do do the validation or whatever. So it can be it can be complicated, even with a moderately sized form, in my experience. Yeah, yeah, I think there's like uh, a lot of user interactions that you need to take into consideration. So you, there's on change. So when the input information changes you have blur so when when the user leaves the uh, field then you have focus and then you need to keep track of this sort of information i think it's called dirty in some of yes. the form libraries so if something has been done to the field is it in the original value or has it changed so there are a Correct. lot of different states i just said five and now if you have five fields then it's five 
I don't know if it's five. Five times five is, you know, 25 different bits of state that you have to manage. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And that gets complex. So what other things do you feel that there is to building forms like just this, this sheer amount of data and states that you need to have? Some forms you need to add a f- add more fields, right? So if you if you're say you're building some website for people to do their taxes or something, and you and they need to add a dependent or something, and so sometimes you need to click a button and have new fields appear that weren't, you know, initially on the form or just extra data. So Forms can change size and shape sometimes with the more complicated applications. It's not just like a login form or you know a chat box or whatever. But yeah, that's that's basically it. It's managing all of this state that is changing so rapidly and where to put that state and how to manage it uh, can be can be complicated. And like when you get into React, it's important to know like if you're going to use con- controlled inputs which is the react term for where react is managing the value of the of the input not the dom element if you're going to do that then which is what react recommends then you have to re-render your input every time someone types in it and not only that but you have to potentially re-render any other part of your form where you're showing an, an error or something. So it can be, it can get complicated with how much of your form needs to be redrawn at any given moment. Yeah, that's that's a good point. And I think like from the perspective of what every front-end developer should know, I think all of this comes down to that. I think you should know that if you want field-level validation, and especially if you want it to be real time, so when the user types it, that is going to be complex. So if you can get away with validating the data only on on submit or even on the server and returning back some sort of messages, that is going to be far more simpler. Of course, you get a much better UX, so user experience for doing the field level validation. But if that is not like the the like if it's not crucial for the user experience, then you should know that it's a lot easier to not do field-level validation. I, I guess the, the summary is that it's a lot harder to do very good field-level validation than what you'd expect. Yes. It seems like it should be easy, but it's harder than you than it seems, <laughs> yes. There are, are many ready-made form libraries. So the ones you've built, so there's Redux form, and, and the next generation of that is the final form. And, or, or, you know, the better version, the, the final version that solves things, I guess the name <laughs> implies that. And then, well. then there are, 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 are other popular libraries like uh, React Hookform or Formic. When should you and why should you use a ready-made form library? Well, for simple forms, and by simple, I mean like a username and password login form. For something that simple, you don't necessarily need a to pull in a big form library. You can just use a use state hook or something or easily manage your state in, in React. But when you get really any more than three or four fields, 
and you want to do this this level of client side validation, then it really becomes complicated and a big hassle to manage all of that state yourself. So that's when you should reach for a form library. I started using React pretty much as soon as they as they open sourced it from Facebook. And I was just building little side projects here and there. And one of them needed a form with like eight inputs in it or something. And if you go to the React docs and you you search for how to how to build a form, all they tell you is you all they tell you is how to make an input controlled, right? They teach you how to use one input and and that's it. And sometimes I like to joke in some of my conference talks how, you know, well, that's fine for Facebook because Facebook only has one input, right? Yeah, yeah. You update your status. Yeah, uh, yeah exactly. Yeah. But there was no real solution for, for this out there that I could find. When I was working on this was right around the time that, that Redux was becoming super popular. I had been following ever since Facebook announced Flux and everyone built their own Flux implementation because for some reason, Facebook just just released the idea and no code, which was like annoying. But so th there was th there were these, these Flux wars where people were trying to figure out how to best implement that. And then Redux came along and I was watching Redux sort of get formed on on the reactive flux slack group and and just on github and it seemed like hey this is a a way to manage application state so i asked dan on the reactive flux i said do you think it's going to be performant enough to like f dispatch a redux action on every single key press is that going to is that going to work and he said yeah i don't know why i wouldn't and so I built a little reducer that took in the events from the from the form inputs and saved it into Redux state, and that's how Redux form got born. And I open sourced it, and it turns out that everyone was having the same the same question of how do I manage form state? How do I keep values of more than one input in a nice way? And so Redux form really sort of took off and. That was that was when I really started to learn about all the different types of complex forms that can be out there. Because what I was building, I wanted a form with with like twelve inputs, right? And I I thought everyone that's building a form is going to know the exact twelve inputs that they're going to have when they're building the form. So why would why would we need to dynamically add extra fields and things? But no, as Redux form became more popular, I heard of all of these use cases and all of these requirements from people all over the world about, hey, I needed to do this, but not do it when something else is, is true. And so it was a very educational for me to go implementing those features or you know merging PRs if someone else implemented it. And... There's just so many different <laughs> different types of form requirements out there that it was very mm, educational to learn about all that. And so <clears throat> like a lot of a lot of what forms are like in most like say you're building a some B2B application 
where you're like most forms are for editing database records, right? That's that's basically where most of our applications are listing a, a bunch of database records, and then you click to edit one, and you pull up a, a form to edit that that record, and you edit it, and then you save it to the database. That's that's the simple version of what so much of our forms and our applications are. And it would be would not be an admin panel, even if it would be just a contact form on a page. It ends exactly. ends up in the database, so it's it is very at least very close to the actual data base record or whatever place it's stored in Salesforce or whatever. So you know it, it's it's editing or creating something into a a data store. Right, because otherwise, you know. Otherwise, why are we asking the user to type things? Yes, and for so when you for things like that where you have these specific requirements, form libraries can come in can come in very handy if you have, like I said, you're editing records. And so, so as for the others, I I haven't used much of the other form libraries. React hook form looks very interesting because it's it's done you know we talk about you know thinking outside the box and what react hook form did was they said well what if we don't make our inputs controlled all the time but like that's like breaking with the dogma from the church of react to to say you know we the rest of us just assumed that we had to make our our inputs controlled because that's what our React overlords told us, and that idea of what if what if we didn't is very intriguing. Again, if you want if you want to control things in real time as the user is typing, then you it sort of it has to be controlled, or you, at least you have to be listening to the on changes and doing things. So in Redux form that you built, all the form state lives in Redux and it creates Redux actions. And <clears throat> then came this new trend or change in paradigm where storing local state to Redux was not cool anymore. Yep. That's very natural for forms because the state in the form is not usually global especially if, if you're editing a database record, what you want is that you input some sort of default values based on what you have. So if you're editing something, you input it into the form and then the form state lives its own life until the user decides that now what I have in the form should be the new record in the database or what, whatever. Yeah, so the, the other problem, like the main problem, like we can, yes, your form states should be closer to the form, not global. But that's when everyone takes that as, as a given and no one asks, well, why? And the only reason I can come up with is that with Redux, anytime you dispatch an action, Redux has to go and talk to all of your reducers in your whole application and say, Hey, this this action happened. Do you care? And so, on every single key press with Redux form, your Redux is having to go and if you have fifty reducers, it has to go and ask each of those reducers, you know, what it 
the way the way reducers are are often built is they get the action and then there's like a big switch statement and so it's having to go and compare your action type with all the other possible action types on every single key press so that's where I think that's where you could have a problem if you had a very large Redux application. The other, the other thing was that the way Redux form was built, it forced your field components to be actual components. You couldn't use render props. And a couple of years ago, when render props became super popular, that was a real pain point. And people were complaining like, hey, why can't we use render props with Redux form? Because like the render prop, if you just pass in a new function every time, that's like that's a different value than, than it was on the last render. And so whatever you're passing the render prop to has to be smart enough to to know whether or not to re-render or it 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 sort of gets gets complicated. But so you couldn't use render props with with Redux form. And right about the same time that I started working on React Final Form, Formic was released. And Formic allowed render props and it kept the state local and it's it was very well marketed as a as a library and it took off in popularity, just became huge. Now Formic is bigger than all the other form libraries combined and as far as downloads. And it works it worked well. It uses React state for where to keep your form state. And so it benefits from any extra efficiency that the React team adds to maintaining state. It's gonna benefit from that. But so maintaining a Redux form for so so long and learning of all of these different use cases and seeing how, like, one mistake that I made with, well, I don't even know if I could, should call it a mistake, but one thing I learned from uh, Redux form was saying yes to all the feature requests. Everyone said, hey, can it do this? And I would say, yeah, I, I bet I can implement something to have it do that. And so people kept submitting PRs of new features and what if it couldn't handle this particular scenario? And so Redux form sort of grew and grew and grew so that the, the bundle itself was quite large. And like, you shouldn't have to download a huge library if you're just building a tiny little login form or whatever. You shouldn't have to download the code to manage validating arrays of fields, right? So that was a problem that I wanted to see if I could solve. And the other sort of epiphany I had when I was thinking about these things was that form states is not related to React. It's like, no matter what your framework you're building your website with, you're going to have, if, if you're building a form, you're going to have, you're going to have to keep track of the values of all your fields. You're going to have to keep track of whether or not they're, they're dirty or pristine or whether or not they're valid and whether or not you're currently submitting or all of these things that, const that constitutes form state is independent of any framework. So 
and I thought, well, wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be nice if you could just have a, a core engine that could handle all of that form state that could be used with any framework, and then you could sort of build wrappers around it to work with whatever framework you wanted. Yeah, I think that's an interesting difference if, if you compare these different libraries. So in Formic, as you said, the state is in the context, and then you have this component called field that you know is connected to the Formic instance that creates the React context. And then in React hook form, it's just a hook that exposes some values and how it connects to the actual fields is that it needs to know the ref so that the actual html element and then there is this they have this component called, called controlled that you can you know use to register fields like uh react select or something so you can integrate and and what what these decisions do to the libraries is that they are tied to react so you can't use them outside of react because you know exactly. hooks are hooks are a react thing the react form state is a a react thing well m probably most react developers they, they don't really think about switching frameworks so in that sense a lot of the consideration when you select the library that is not a deal breaker let's say it's not a deal breaker usually but then you have to d discuss the other other benefits and what you get i'm very intrigued by the idea that you know someday when i'm old and react is replaced with something much better i could still use the same tools so right so so that's an int int like very intriguing idea but when if i need to do some trade-offs then i'm like maybe prioritizing my current day struggles right of course but however, I have I have an interesting example. Like when I when I built Final Form and I and React Final Form, which is the wrapper around it, I thought just like you just like you were thinking, you know, this could outlive React. Like there could whatever we're using fifteen years from now, that's not React or some other some other thing. It could still be using the Final Form internal core that for managing form state, and. Little did I know, React did change when they introduced hooks, because Final Form and React Final Form predate the the hooks announcement, and so rewriting React Final Form to use hooks was a very interesting like test of is the Final Form um, API flexible enough to switch state paradigms right and uh, and it turned out to be very very nice because because final form uses the the fairly standard system where it, your subscribe function returns a function to unsubscribe that's true in all of the like observable libraries and things but that's also the exact shape that the use effect hook needs so it's just sort of it all fell into place in a really nice way. So just to kind of clarify, so the, a big difference between how the state, where the state lives is that because you're not in React, the state is not React state. So you have observables. It's, it's like observables, yes. When you add fields, they get registered to the form. And whenever you change a field, then you know the, the actual field that is rendered. Gets notified. 
Yeah, I would imagine that has some performance benefits. Does it? So the the field component registers with with the you know, via con, via React contact. If we're talking about React final form, it registers with the form instance saying, "Hey, I'm a new field," and it when you when it registers, it can specifically tell final form which bits of state it wants to be notified about. This is this is the big difference between React between final form and all the other form libraries is this uh, fine grain control when you need it you you don't you typically don't need it on a form of you know 20 fields or whatever but there are people out there that are building forms with 500 fields you know the your listener wanted to know about complex forms there are people out there building just enormous forms and when you have such a such a lot of form state being able to say uh, hey, don't re-render me when some other form value changes, or when, or like like one of the one of the values that's that's kept for 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 a field is whether or not it's currently active. Does it have focus? And in some forms, you want to change the CSS class when that when your field is in focus, or maybe you want to show a little tooltip or something. But a lot of times, you don't care about that. So. With React Final Form, you can specify, hey, all I care about is the value and the error on this field. Don't re-render me when it becomes active. With that, Final Form gives you this really, really total control over what causes your different elements to re-render. That's a very interesting, interesting thing. Like I can give an example from one of our projects that we currently are building. We have this form that is actually part of a, another form. So currently there is the, the form has a field where we input raw, raw JSON. So it's just the you know text text box. And this new application that we're building basically just replaces the text box and the output of the application is just JSON. But the form has like five different sections and those sections have you know multiple fields, let's say 10 fields each and then they also have this sort of repeater fields so you can you you can configure like key value objects so you need to be able to add like now i need a key called well basically you can build http requests so you can add headers and stuff like that and we actually ran into a problem with it was not we're using formic but the problem was not with formic but it was with typescript and yup so yup is the validation library that is used like the recommended one for Formic. And the problem was that TypeScript started complaining that the inferred type tree of the validation schema is too big for it to handle. And the problem was that the tree was just too deep. All of those five main sections could be like separate forms, but the validation needs to be done together. And this is not a use case that is well supported by Formic. And, and you don't also get this sort of fine-grained rendering that we could say for each of the top levels that this this you know this section of the form doesn't care about the rest of the form so only you know notify right. this branch and 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 that that has a, a huge effect on the performance because you know the valid on change validation 
is is actually very very performance intensive and in another project that i'm building we're using react hook form and in that case i had to change the validation of a form from on change to on blur because of the fact that in that application the state needs to be updated to the url and what that does is that it causes the oh, whole yeah. application to re-render yeah so you need this sort of tricks to have very fine control, not even within the form, but also how it flows outside. So performance on on-change handlers is not very easy. So it's very like interesting to me if I would have that extra level of control that would make my life easier many times. Yes, and with React Final Form, there are three components. There's form, which sets up your whole form and everything else goes inside it. There's field, which registers one field. But then there's a thing called form spy which is i'm not sure how i came up with that name but it allows you to get form wide state into a render prop somewhere in your form if you've told your form not to re-render all all the time if you've told the form to only re-render when you know submitting is true but not mm -hmm. on every value change then if you want to render something about your form state somewhere in your form you have to be able to like to get that state there. And that's what FormSpy does. It allows you to render form states without re-rendering the entire form. So for example, if I would have computed fields, like when, when the user inputs some values and let's say I sum them together and I want to show them in a read-only field to the user or something. That could be FormSpy, yes. And as I said before about how Redux form got super big with just saying yes to all these features, the other thing that I that I've wanted to focus on with Final Form that I don't think any of the other form libraries do is to make it modular, where if you don't care about managing arrays of fields, then you don't have to install that module. But if you do want to use uh, managed arrays of fields, then there's a separate NPM package that you install and you and you hook up to Final Form and now suddenly you have that functionality. So I wanted to make it extensible so you could just like have these plugins basically to add extra features as your needs grow. And that's another thing that I think sets Final Form apart from the competitors. ES modules. And the fact that like modern tooling like Next.js do tree shaking quite well, you know, it's it's a web, web backpack feature, but it's very accessible to people because of frameworks like Next.js. I think that if the library is built well, it can solve a bulk of the problem of, you know, having a big library, but not shipping all of it to the user. But I can imagine that that has taken quite a bit of time to design a good plugin API because I've built plugin APIs sometimes and it's not like a very very like easy decision on how much control you allow for the plugins and and you know this sort of stuff so, so that that's that that is very very interesting feature and I feel that there there are probably a lot of use cases where it enables the community to build reusable things on top of final form exactly one example of one of those things that I built is just what you, the example that you that you gave of calculating fields value based on other fields values, and there's a pretty easy way to define how how that can work, and that's one of these plugins that you can use. 
another plugin is for supporting HTML5 validation attributes. So with HTML5, they built in this, this sort of idea of form validation that for my use, use of the internet, I almost never see it used. It, like it's, it's a shame that the standards agency came out with this, with this idea and no one adopted it. Yeah. Uh, see also web components, but <laughs> the, b- but there's this plugin that allows you to show your errors in the native way of, of showing errors. It must be better for accessibility. I'm not an expert in accessibility, but the browsers and the screen readers must be wise to HTML5 errors, and it must be nicer, um, a nicer experience. And my very favorite plugin for React Final Form is one that when you try and submit and you have an error on a field, it will it will scroll to that to that field and focus it. Because if you've got a, a, a really long form that you have to scroll around in and you hit submit and nothing happens because one error appeared somewhere off screen, that's terrible user experience, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. What, what, what I often see is a message will appear down by the submit button saying, there are errors, go up and look for them. But this, this plugin will, will go and scroll up to the to the field that has the has the error and, and put your focus there. Which if you think about how you would implement that in React, you would have to keep all the refs to all of your inputs and then go through your errors and match it up. And it's it's a complicated thing, but yeah. I really yeah. like that that particular yeah. plugin. Yeah, React hook form actually because it went to the way of registering the you know that you give the it the refs it actually does that but if you wouldn't ha- you know have this solution of having refs you'd need need to go through a few hoops to to know which which element this error relates to or actually i'm not 100% sure if that's from react hook form or if it's from the the design system that we use cuz we use garden from zendesk and i'm not 100% sure if it's so smart i'm assuming that it's it's react hook form but whatever it is that's a good ux concern that you should think about when you're building fo- uh, complex forms how do i make sure that when a form happens on on submit the user will be taken to the field rather than told that you know in the tab like in our in our complex forms you have five tabs and if it would just say that you have errors in your form <laughs> then the user needs to click through the five different tabs and maybe some collapses within them and try to find what like where the heck is this so how do you how do you communicate where the error is i have one final question related to ready made form libraries, and then we can discuss on when when they're not a good fit, maybe. But it, validation. So in Formic, you basically, you use Yup, and you can probably use something else, but that's the go-to thingy. And uh, then with React Hook Form, they have this very simple validation API that you can, you know, have your own functions there if you want to. I think you can use the HTML5 validation also. And then they have these resolvers for other libraries like Yup. So we're using, because we're we're used to using Yup in many places of our apps, we're using it together with React Hook Form. And and then Final Form, how does it solve validation? And you know, what are your learnings on validation? You know, in general, what you would say that the, the pain points and, and the solutions are? Right, so validation 
falls into two categories in my way of thinking. There's what I call record level validation, where you are given the whole JSON for the whole form and you need to give back, are there any errors? And then there is field level validation where you need a function that it is given a field value and tells you if there's an error or not. And Final Form supports both. I intentionally didn't choose a library like like Formic did because they're, they're just functions that are given your values. And I've never actually used Yup, but it can't be that difficult to, to write a function that takes all your values and passes it to Yup for validation or takes one value and the name of your field or whatever to pass to your to your validation schema. Yeah, that's pretty easy and, actually. That's like the basic use case of the whole right. library. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And the other thing I'll point out is if you do record level validation where you're given your entire JSON blob and asked to see if there are any errors, if you're using Node on the back end, you can reuse the same validation function on the receiving end of your of your data mm. to make sure that someone hasn't like spoofed some some request to enter in, invalid data into a thing. Like you should you should be validating on the server as well, basically. Yeah. A lot of people do that, I think, uh, with JSON schemas. So they have, right. so they use JSON schemas on the back end, and they are easy to share to the front end because it's just JSON. And GraphQL helps with that as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it probably does. You can probably you probably have you know, some auto generation library. Do you use TypeScript? I do use TypeScript. When I when I wrote Final Form. It was right when TypeScript and Flow were even competitors, and I chose Flow for <laughs> to write Final Form in, and it was, you know, it was helpful. Like I, I sort of designed the API with the types already, and then went and implemented it. So that was interesting, and like until until all the the typing errors went away. But now I'm very much a big I'm a fan of TypeScript. I write everything new in TypeScript, and I spend a lot of time converting things from from js to ts yeah because the one thing that is is problematic with yup in my my perspective is that when you have a complex form especially if you have conditional fields so if the field type is get let's say we are mapping http requests so if you if you get make if the type is get you shouldn't have a body if it's post, it should have a body. So, so and this sort of validation where where you need to have conditional validation. And when Yup tries to infer the schema, this sort of um, union type, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically, you can type in TypeScript that tell it that if the type is this, then this should be there. Right. But basically, where you end up with Yup is that that body field will always be undefined or not because they you know they inferred like it will be right, right. In, you, a string or an undefined and you need to do the check yourself or have this information outside or do it somewhere additionally because although yup in itself as a library supports this when the inferred typescript types don't have the same information anymore in them and and we, 
it's not a huge problem, but you know, it's always annoying when the validation that you're doing doesn't map to your TypeScript types one to one. Yeah, you know, TypeScript is getting better all the time with its inference and stuff, and there's there's still a lot of ground to be covered when it comes to the type inference, and it's pretty amazing what it can do already. But yeah, it is. There's, yeah, it is. There's still more it can do. Yeah, but what I think the thing is that if I would write my validation functions by hand, I could, you know, I could type them as I want. But I, I prefer using Yoop or some schema-based option because it, because I feel that my own validation library would end up being the same because I wouldn't want to repeat, you know, the checks all the time. And I feel it's more declarative. It's easier to read in a sense that, okay, this is the schema. Yeah, and you 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 feel like you're repeating yourself because you're for your TypeScript type, you're you know for your form values or whatever, you're saying okay, name is a is a required string, and then elsewhere, like because the types aren't available at runtime with TypeScript, you can't generate a function that that does that sort of validation. Like yeah. later, you have to actually code that this is a required string even though like you have to say it twice which is wouldn't be nice if there was a way to take a typescript type and generate a validation function from it like i'm sure there are code gen people that uh, that have done something like that i think iots is a library that does something very similar but yeah. i think the challenges there are often that then the validation library is somehow restricted by typescript on the uh, like the other end so sure tra trade-offs <laughs> exactly but let, let me ask me let, let, let's ask it this way ask 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 it this way what's your favorite way of doing form validation okay i generally just write write it by hand. Okay. When I'm using GraphQL to submit, I will generally use field level validation where you just write a a single, you know, required function and then you can use that on all your required fields or uh, max length or you know, stuff like that where you can reuse the same sort of checks and you can just throw them all into you can compose those together. It's really trivial in JavaScript to compose a bunch of functions together. Mm. And then I pass that to that validation function to to the field. And that, that works pretty well. Okay. Okay. I've done that before, not with very complex forms. I actually built a reactive form validation library on top of Jake query it sounds fancy <laughs> but you know but it yes. had actually some sort of su subscribe function you could tell the form that which fields cause conditional validation and this sort of you know stuff so i have experience on writing fields by hand but for some reason it feels like i'm doing work that already has been <laughs> done but it's interesting to hear that you you have this experience that it actually is worthwhile and it, it works well if you do it yourself and i i feel that especially when working with typescript that would probably help you with typing or at least when you know exactly how your validation functions work because with youp you sometimes have these corner cases that if i have an ensure call it does some typecasting and you know this sort of 
in framework internals that you don't always 100% know what will you know happen. So it gives you a lot more control, at least, to do it yourself. That, here's a bit of form wisdom for your listeners. HTML form elements will always give you back strings. Yeah. And if you try and fight that, you're going to have a hard time. There are ways in most form libraries, I think, certainly in all of mine, to, as someone is typing, to take that value and parse it into another data type to store in the state. And then there's another format function that when it goes to re-render that field, it takes whatever parsed value and converts it back to a string. And you might think, oh, well, that'd be great for numbers or something. But the problem is when the user tries to write 1.5 and they get to hitting the the, the decimal point, it's going to parse one point into into the value one, and then it's going to render the value back as one, and you're going to lose your, your decimal point. Yeah. yeah, that happens if it's a controlled input. Exactly. So that's a, a pitfall that you, it's, is easy to, to stumble into. And I recommend keeping all your form state as strings, and then when you submit is when you go and parse it all into the data types that your server wants. Yeah, that makes a, a ton of sense. Because doing it any other way is more more trouble than it's worth. Yeah, it, it will cost you some bugs that you didn't expect. Yeah. Uh, awesome. That's a good piece of uh, form wisdom. Then the last question related to forms for today is that when is a ready-made form library not a good fit? So from years of experience and interacting with people building very, very complex forms, do you have any ideas on when you shouldn't really be using a, a, a form library? Yeah, I personally have never built a form that doesn't fit well with using a form library. But I know that some of the users of my libraries have come to me and said that, look, when when we get down to input number 600, things start to lag a little bit. And at that like. Oh, such a, point, such, a, such a crappy library. <laughs> no, right, exactly. I, I, I'm sure they are not telling you that, but you know, you know, when no. we get to the field number 600, things start yeah. to feel a bit laggy. They, they they want they want help, and they say, "Hey, is this can this can this be better?" And at that point, I just have to say, "Well, you know, sorry, that's such an edge case that it's not worth." I don't even. I don't even know. I don't even know the places in Final Form where something like that could be streamlined. It's just keeping all of your 600 values in one object is just going to be restrictive in that way. So yeah. it is possible to have forms that are so big that controlled inputs are not the way to go. Yeah, yeah. definitely. But it feels like, especially with Final Form you do have quite a, like, you can start with this basic scenario where, you know, validate everything on change and, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then when when it starts to feel laggy, you can start making these manual optimizations that, exactly. you know, only update these four parts of the form when these fields change, or if, if the lagginess is coming from a specific field that causes some expensive calculation or something, you can restrict that based on the subscriptions that you have on the fields. Yes. Uh, which is why, by default, React Final Form is going to re-render the whole form on every value change, 
because uh, yeah, yeah. That, that's a good default. Uh, yeah. That's and what you, you expect. You want, and to, it's you want to not have to think about why why am I not re-rendering when this value changes? And then it has that expert mode where you can go and subscribe to specific values. It's very much like GraphQL, if people are familiar with that, where you 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 can query and say, I only want these these values. I don't want mm. the whole the whole database record or whatever. Or, you know, SQL selects or Mongo projections or whatever, and you you specifically say these are the things that I want to know about, and then it won't re-render you when other things change. So if you know in the beginning when you're building a form that you're going to have 600 fields, then it's a good time to think about other like to to see if a ready-made form library is not a good fit. And if you have 600 fields, you might want to rethink your UI. Yeah, yeah. In general. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if you're building a spreadsheet, then by all means, don't try and keep all of that data controlled. And like, I don't even know where to begin with with building a reactive spreadsheet, like you know, Google Sheets or something. That's got to be just so complicated to keep all those values and also run all the all the formulas and things. Yeah, and make sure that the rendering is efficient and stuff like that. Right. So exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay, and then the last question for today is that, and this is no longer about forms, but in general, what resources, books, blog posts, people to follow, YouTube channels, whatever, would you recommend to a front-end developer who wants to go from good to great? I don't, I don't generally learn from, from coding books very much, so I don't have any recommendations there. I follow a lot of people on Twitter that are doing interesting teaching about React and, and web development in general. Kent C. Dodds comes to mind. He has, I guess a couple of years ago now, has switched entirely to, to doing training. And he produces really interesting courses. Josh Komu, I guess is how you pronounce his name, does very cool interactive CSS tutorials and he's all about making your making your application more fun to use by having a little twinkle on your button or something and those are those are cool little details that can set your application apart from from others see Harry Wolf is a is a guy that makes pretty good YouTube videos I met him at a conference a couple of years back and I'm also a huge fan of David Korshids, or as he goes on Twitter, David K. Piano. I think a lot of people think his last name is Piano. Yeah, uh, I actually he, thought his last name was Piano. Yeah. yeah. And he he is all about state machines and finite state machines and XState is the library that he's that he's written. And I've after watching several of his talks, I finally decided to build something using a state machine. And it really is a a game changer for managing state in your application. So I highly recommend checking out XState and following him on Twitter because he posts very interesting things. Yeah, yeah. Actually, Tero Yakula, who was the listener who requested for this episode, his another request was that for an episode on discussing how much of Redux you could replace with XState. So that would be a, a very nice topic to discuss, like what are the benefits of state machines in comparison to, to having Redux? Yeah, 
almost every almost every question that I hear about replacing Redux with whatever is like they don't match exactly. Like some people ask, you know, well, now that we have context and hooks and things, we don't need Redux anymore. Well, not exactly. That's not what Redux really does. And with X states, it's it's also not exactly a Redux replacement because Redux doesn't have this concept of being in a being in a finite state where now you're you know now you're idle or now you're loading or now you're you have an error but it can sort of feel like that because you're you're sending events and which change the which change the state and get give the, the state back to you but it's sort of similar yeah you should try and get David on, if you can. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I will try to get David on. That would be a, a very nice episode. I think, like, if I understood Teros' idea originally, it was exactly this: that people do store a lot of state into Redux that would better fit a state machine. So, do you do have this poorly built state machines in Redux? Because, and you basically have poorly built state machines in you know, 90% of applications that you built. Anytime you have a loading Boolean, you could be using a state machine. Yeah, And I found that almost all of my Redux use was for loading data. (laughs) It was always, it was always, you know, are we currently loading? Have we fetched the data? Do we need to fetch the next page of the data? And that's a thing that is better suited to other libraries like like React Query and Apollo GraphQL, yeah. where it manages all of that. Am I currently loading and is it what's cached and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and, and I think that has the added benefit of it forcing you to handle, like, or it, at least making it easier for you to handle all the cases. And in the case yes. of TypeScript, actually with React Query, if you don't handle all the states, you will be thinking like, why does type TypeScript complain that my data can be undefined? And then you realize that you haven't handled the case is idle. Exactly. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's very interesting. So thank you, Eric, for joining me. This was a very interesting discussion. Thanks thank to you. all our listeners. So, so just to recap, there are multiple great libraries. There's Formic from Jared Palmer, React Hook Form, whose original author is Bill. I think I won't even try to pronounce his name. He goes by Bill in, in Twitter. And then there is also Final Form by Eric. And I was very, 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 very impressed by the by the subscription-based model, which allows you find great control. So when considering building your next form, see which has the best trade-offs for your form. Yeah, and there are like 50 different examples on the in the React Final Form docs of all the different use cases that I learned about doing Redux form, I made sure that every single one of them and more were possible with Final Form. Oh, awesome. So we will add that to the show notes. And thanks to all our listeners, and we'll see you again in two weeks. (laughs) 